Hello, and welcome to another episode of the TexMix podcast brought to you by the Texas Signal. Uh, today, I'm very delighted to be joined by a guest, Ali Lozano from the Texas Civil Rights Project. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, happy to happy to uh, chat with you. Uh, so, Ali, you're the director of advocacy and communications at the Texas Civil Rights Project. Uh, folks from the Texas Signal, we know your organization very well. We actually had a couple of op-eds that folks from your your group uh, did with us. It was a really really cool project. Um, so, could you sort of tell us about yourself and what brought you to Texas Civil Rights Project? Sure. Yeah, actually, my, my journey to TCRP is um, an interesting one and trajectory wise sort of makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm actually a Los Angeles native, so nobody in Texas hold that against me too much, please. Um, but when I graduated from undergrad, I, I was in D.C. and I ended up uh, working as the political manager for the LGBTQ Victory Fund. And I got deployed on a bunch of campaigns over the two and a half years that I was with that political action committee. And I did races, you know, in Arizona, New York, Texas, uh, Wisconsin. And the one thing that I noticed was there were very different voting laws in all of these places. And so that's really where I got really interested in voting rights work and, and differences in election code and election administration. Um, and I moved to Texas actually very shortly after the people's filibuster that Wendy Davis had done at the ledge. It was a pretty inspiring moment for me um, and ended up doing organizing work with the Texas Freedom Network, where I was doing hardcore voter registration with uh, primarily college students around Texas, mostly in Houston and the North Texas area. Um, and then went to graduate school for macro political social work where I really dug into voting rights work a lot with sort of my, my external research and GA positions, et cetera. And TCRP happened to have a position on the voting rights team available just as I was graduating. So the, the stars aligned there. Uh, and I joined TCRP in May 2019, working on the voting rights team and have since transitioned to this new role as the director of advocacy and communications. So now I'm actually, um, you know, managing and leading all of our press comms, digital and advocacy across all three programs. So that's criminal justice, racial and economic justice, which is basically our, our immigration work and voting rights, of course. So that's that's a, the last 10 years of my life in, in a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the Wendy Davis filibuster, uh, that is something that we've heard from so many folks that really inspired a lot of their activism, inspired them to, to come to Texas. Um, I would just like to point out that we are uh, just a, a couple of days removed from a heinous anti-abortion uh, legislation. So I, I'd imagine that that's gonna kickstart a new wave of, of folks coming down to Texas. Um, with TCRP, y'all have been really at the forefront of fighting against this voter suppression bill. Uh, sadly, uh, the bill was signed through the House and Senate. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of changes to it. We saw House Democrats break quorum to try and prevent this. Some of those Democrats did come back. Um, can you can you sort of let us know what's what's in this bill and what what it means for Texas voters? 
Yes, definitely. Okay, buckle up, everybody. Are we are we ready? <laughs> All right, I'm going. So, <laughs> at, so and and um, for for clarity's sake, for folks listening, so today is September second. So the governor has not yet signed the bill, but we anticipate that he will literally any minute. Um, so we are waiting for for him to sign. So probably by the time this airs, it will be signed. Um, and the like one sentence summary of everything in this bill, right, is that. SB1 would set new rules for voting by mail, boost protections for partisan poll watchers, and roll back local voting initiatives that are meant to make it easier to vote, and namely those that were implemented by Harris County, which were disproportionately used by voters of color. And TCRP actually uh, did some extensive data analysis showing just, uh, you know, what percentage of the total voter turnout, how many folks of color actually turned out in Harris County and specifically used the two methods that the legislature went after, which was drive-through voting and um, extended early hours, extended hours uh, voting. So I'm going to kind of go into like section by section of the big chunks of what this act, what changes are going to happen and what this means for Texas, for Texas. So number one, a ban on drive-through voting. That's pretty self-explanatory. So, you know, Harris County was doing drive-through voting. Other counties actually also did some drive-through voting, but obviously Harris County was front and center in that as, as you know, an enormous county in Texas. So there's now a ban on drive-through voting. Um, and, you know, the county's drive-through polling places were mostly set up under large tents. Voters remained in their cars and showed a photo ID, verified their registration before filling out their ballots. Um, and that option was very popular. About one in 10 people actually um, uh, cast early voting ballots through drive-through locations. So that's now gone. Um, there are also new regulations for early voting hours, um, including also a ban on 24-hour voting. So SB1 now restricts early voting to a newly established window of 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., which outlaws the 24 hours of uninterrupted voting that uh, that Harris offered. Um, and the legislation also requires more counties to provide at least 12 hours of early voting each weekday of the second week of early voting <laughs> in state elections. So that's that's currently already required of counties with a population of 100,000 or more people. But SB1 is actually lowering that population threshold to 55,000 people um, expanding hours in, in smaller, mostly Republican counties. I also want to preface TCRP is completely nonpartisan. We are strictly nonpartisan, but I'm just, I'm just giving you all the demographic facts here. <laughs> um, well, one thing that, you know, another thing that like, I just can't sort of wrap my head around is, you know, when, when Harris County and, and other places were implementing these new voting methods, uh, it was because of a pandemic. Uh, and this is a pandemic right. that is still ongoing, which Texas, which many of the, the Republicans and state leadership have exacerbated, um, you know, by sort of discrediting vaccines, um, you know, our hospitalization rates in many places are very scary. I'm in North Texas. There are no more pediatric ICU units. The ICU units for adults are also very, very um, slim at this moment. Uh, so this was like stuff that was not sort of out of thin air. This was because of, of a global pandemic. That, that's right. And, and that's actually, that's really what TCRP has been pushing in like all of the interviews that we've been doing because Representative Murr, Andrew Murr, who carried 
um, th this this other iteration of the of the bill um, in the last stretch, he actually noted on the floor, well, the pandemic is over, so we don't need these things anymore. And everybody was like, uh, <laughs> I don't, that's, I don't that's think- That's not what our hospital administrators or medical that, professionals are that's, saying. That's not our reality. That's not our lived reality. I don't know where, what, where in Texas you're living, uh, Mr. Murr. Um, yeah, so yes, and so that's right. So these were really, I mean, critical safety measures, absolutely, that now are gone. Um, the other big change is a ban. You're noticing that I'm using the word ban a lot because that's exactly what happened. Uh, a ban on the distribution of mail-in ballot applications. Um, so Texas going into the regular session, we already had 103 criminal provisions on the books in our election code, which is more than, than most states, if not all states. And now it will become a state jail felony for local election officials to send unsolicited applications to request a mail-in ballot. Um, that same punishment applies to officials who approve the use of public funds to quote unquote facilitate the unsolicited distribution of applications by third parties. So that's just, that's nuts, right? I mean, that's just like nuts. So political parties would still be able to send out unsolicited applications on their own dime, but like for third parties, you know, like the League of Women Voters and stuff, that that impacts them um, as well. And, and obviously that proposal, just like many of the others, a direct response to Harris County, then County Clerk Chris Hollins, who attempted to proactively send applications to all 2.4 million registered voters last year, um, despite him, you know, providing his office, providing clear instructions on how to determine if they were eligible. Um, and that went through a whole, you know, grueling litigation tennis match as well. Um, and along those same lines, there's also a new ID requirement for voting by mail. This is, and I, I'm not an attorney, but I work with a lot of, a lot of attorneys and this seems, you know, slightly illegal. Um, but the legislation tightens rules for voting by mail by setting new, uh, new ID requirements. So now under SB1, voters must provide their driver's license number, or if they don't have one, of course, the last four digits of their social um, just like, you know, our regular voter registration applications, but they must also provide those numbers on the envelope used to return their completed ballot. So that's new. Um, kind of, you know, on the, on the uh, silver lining end, I guess, there's also a correction process for mail-in voting now. Um, so the bill creates a new process allowing voters to correct their mail-in ballots if they're at risk of being rejected for a technical error. This is also something TCRP worked on extensively um, as part of our democracy from the ground up campaign, we've actually been working on on this sort of what we call a curing process for for a, a few years now. Um, and then it enhances poll watcher protections. So, you know, there's this language. Is, this is a scary one that I, yeah. been, a lot of people have, have noticed yeah. on this one. Yes, this is probably the one that, that folks were, you know, seeing in the news that, oh, poll watcher is gonna be able to, allowed to videotape you, right? As you're, as you're casting your ballot and that's, and that's scary. And so, yeah, so now there's a, a little change. Um, so the, the, well, there's a change from the original version of the bill. Um, now SB1 includes language to strengthen the autonomy of, of, of partisan poll watchers at the polling places. So it grants them free movement within a polling place. So it, except for being present at a voting station when a voter is filling out their ballot. So that was the, that was like the scary part that people were like, oh my God. Um, but it, it does exempt being present at a voting station as someone is actually filling out their ballot. Um, but, and SB1 now also makes it a criminal offense 
to obstruct the partisan poll watcher view or distance the watcher um, in any manner that would like not allow them to be reasonably effective. Um, kind of subjective, but, <laughs> um, and then the, the Democrats actually had pushed a change. Um, uh, SB one now requires training for poll watchers and, and does now allow for them to be removed from a polling place without warning if they violate, uh, the penal code. So a previous version of the bill was only going to allow them to be kicked out if they like blatantly violated the law. Um, after receiving a warning. So that was also something we were pushing for. We were like, no, like there needs to be ability for, for election workers, you know, to do their jobs and, and get these folks out of there if they're, if they're causing a ruckus in the polling locations. Um, and then, okay, just two more. I promise that I'm dead. It's just, it's a huge bill, right? It's like, it's, I mean, it's a sleeping it elections bill. Um, it also establishes now monthly citizenship checks. So if folks were kind of paying attention to voting rights news in Texas back in 2019, um, I believe it was, you know, we had this whole voter purge uh, situation happen with the former Secretary of State. So SB1 now sets up um, a new monthly review of, of the voter rolls to identify non-citizens. Um, and, and that is going back to the state's botched 2019 purge um, that, that I just talked about, which TCRP sued over, by the way. Um, so now uh, the bill is going to require the Secretary of State's office to compare our very large um, voter registration list with data from DPS to identify people who told um, DPS that they were not citizens while obtaining or renewing their driver's license or ID card after registering to vote. So that's revised language from previous iterations of the bill um, that I believe should match the legal settlement that the state had ultimately entered into after three federal lawsuits by agreeing to rework how, how they actually did that. And the state never, never restarted that work after um, all of those lawsuits and that debacle, but now that's going to be required under this bill. And then the very last thing is that the bill creates, um, well, not even the last thing, but the last big bucket <laughs> um, is now there's new rules for voter assistance as well. So the bill now establishes new requirements and possible criminal penalties. There was a lot of push for new criminal penalties for people who are assisting voters who need help filling out their ballots. And this provision is particularly violent against voters with disabilities. Um, and, and since the beginning, actually, like since the very original version of, of this bill that has morphed in, in all these different ways, like it has just been particularly egregious towards folks with disabilities and voters with disabilities. So the person assisting the voter must fill out new paperwork now disclosing their relationship to the voter. Um, and assistants have to now also recite uh, this oath under penalty of perjury, stating that they did not pressure or coerce the voter into choosing them for assistance. So th those are all the big buckets of, of sort of major changes for this massive, massive bill. So it's it's quite a a sweeping um, bill. And, and you know, I, I mentioned to, this to you before, and it's, it's no secret, but there's, you know, I mean, many different entities, both nationally and statewide, planning to sue around some of these provisions um, once it's signed. Right. And the mantra from Republicans with this bill is that it makes it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And I'm just going to call bunk on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
do want to remind folks that there is no real online voter registration in Texas, which I found out the hard way when I moved back. And when I lived in New York State, uh, I, I could register to vote in about mm, three minutes. Uh, and in Texas, we, we don't even have that option. Um, so with Senate Bill 1, uh, there it was a big process for this bill to, to even make it back into the special session. Um, so the House Elections uh, Chair, Briscoe Kane, uh, a lot of Texas Signal folks know who that is. Um, he wasn't quite ready for prime time. Uh, so this bill was not passed in the, the main legislative session, which is why Abbott, you know, ordered this special session. House Democrats, many of them broke quorum. They were in Washington, D.C. Um, but ultimately enough returned where quorum was established at the Capitol. Um, se several representatives have outlined why they why they came back. James Tallarico in Texas Signal had a, a very lengthy <laughs> 3000 word post about this. Mm -hmm. um, what were your thoughts about about that decision from from certain members? Yeah, so look, I mean, there there's obviously there was a, <laughs> a lot of internet chatter and you know members were going after each other about coming back or about not coming back and you know a, a lot of drama around the quorum break and folks returning um you know i, I i'm not going to comment on individual members who chose to come back um because they at the end of the day they did leave and some members did not leave at all um, right. So I think that, you know, the spotlight should kind of actually be on the members who never left at all, never did anything versus the ones who actually did leave and then did come back. But what, what I will say is that in sort of addition to, to folks having a lot of feelings around Democratic lawmakers returning to the Capitol, there's also been a bunch of discussion around if it was even worth it at all. Right. Because at the end of the day, this bill is getting signed. We're taking an L on that. Right. But um, in, in TCRP's opinion, and in my opinion, many of my colleagues, the walkouts and the quorum breaks, basically all that extra time, it, it was worth it because all of that extra time at, at the end of the day made the bill less restrictive over time. I mean, it, it, it also, and even aside from the fact that, you know, I mean, the bill is still horrible, awful, but it's actually, we did, we got a lot of harm mitigation done. Like we actually were able to do a lot of harm reduction. That quorum, that quorum break in the walkouts also, to be perfectly frank, it gave advocates and organizers a bit of time to rest because we were so exhausted. Um, so, you know, if someone were to ask me, was, was the quorum break worth it, even though Dems did end up returning back, I think absolutely. Um, and I think that the situation for voters in Texas would be much worse if that hadn't happened. And this is kind of the reality for us in Texas, where harm reduction at, at some point is, is that's the strategy. Is yeah. a strategy there. Um, so I know TCRP also has done a lot of advocacy with a bail reform bail reform bill, um, and that has also that was also part of the special session. Uh, could you let us know a little bit, sort of, about what that is and, and what's sort of happening with that now? Yeah, absolutely. So that that bill, the the sweeping bail bill, also um, has gone through. Is expected to be signed by the governor. Um, similarly, actually, to the voting bill, or the anti-voting bill, I should say um, that the the bail bill that has now you know gone all the way through uh, also has gone through a lot of iterations as well and a lot of changes during the regular session. 
the Senate and the House actually had drastically different interpretations and visions for what they wanted to see in terms of bail reform in Texas. By the time we got to the second special, though, um, both chambers had obviously talked because the bills that were introduced in each chamber were like were identical pretty much. So they had obviously worked out their differences during the <laughs> during the quorum break. Um, there's also a lot more there was a lot more bipartisan support around some of these bad bail bills, um, certainly than there was with with the voting bill. There was actually a lot of Dems signed on to the to the bail bill, um, unfortunately. And so the the bill that has gone through now is Senate Bill six for bail. And it's a rewrite of the state's bail system aimed at keeping more people in jail who can't post cash. Um, And one of TCRP's top campaigns actually within our criminal injustice program is eliminating uh, cash bail altogether. So this has been been a a big battle for us. And so SB6 uh, requires people accused of violent crimes to put, put up cash basically to get out of jail. The House committee removed, so there were basically like three major provisions that we were super concerned about. And um, one of them was around charitable bail funds. And the House committee actually removed that controversial provision, which would have restricted charitable groups from from posting bail for people. And that was a practice, right, that gained immense popularity last summer when, when charitable bail funds were posting bail to um, get people out of jail who were protesting the murder of George Floyd. So this was, you know, it, it was a provision pretty targeted and, and, and part of a, you know, much larger, the much larger revitalized racial justice movement. Um, House members added a related provision back into the bill that, that does not, that now does not allow um, limitation of charitable bail groups to post bail. So instead, the the amendment that passed requires charitable bail funds to be certified by county officials as nonprofit organizations and then file reports on who they bond out of jail, but it doesn't outright ban the ability of charitable bail funds to do their thing, which is which was in another iteration. We were super worried about that provision, um, and we were working really closely with the coalition to get that taken out. So that was that was again a harm reduction win, right for for the coalition. Um, and so you know, SB six changes now how and if people can be released from jail before their criminal cases are resolved. So while they're still legally presumed innocent, pretty much. So currently the ability for people to post cash determines most, most Texans jail releases, um, uh, particularly in Harris County after losses in federal court. There's been actually a lot of litigation around this um, predating the, the sessions. Um, but you know this bill really limits when people without monetary resources can be released. Um, the the exclusion right of of only cashless bonds is is definitely going to exacerbate the wealth based detention and is going to increase um, you know the the amount of people that are already in our overfilled jails like plain and simple. Um, we've argued that the bill would would wrongly increase the state's reliance on cash bail um, because it's rest- it's now heavily restricting personal bonds primarily primarily which will penalize low income people and poor people. 
Um, and it's also, you know, there's no regulation at all on for-profit bail bond companies at all. So it's kind of, it was, it was kind of a nod to the for-profit bail bond industry because you could have two people accused of the same crime now, but one is poor and one has actual financial resources can get out of jail. It doesn't matter how dangerous they are. It depends if they have money or not, whether or not they're able to get out of jail now through this bill. Um, and I just want to note that, you know, this bill is, is going to get signed. It's going to go through, it's going to be implemented and multiple federal courts in recent years have found that the, the bail practices in Texas's two largest counties have been unconstitutional because they are blatantly discriminatory against poor people. Um, so I would expect to see some, some movement on, on this as well, but, uh, summary of SB six on the bail front, more poor people will be in, in jail because simply because they cannot afford to pay cash. Yeah. And I can't help but think too, that we have seen that prisons have been huge vectors for COVID-19 already, which yes. will dis disproportionately impact, uh, uh, communities of color. Um, and, and uh, during the winter storm, that was, you know, some of the, the worst places during, during the power outage, uh, which, which do want to remind folks that, you know, the legislature could have, could have worked on our power grid, but they decided not to do that. Um, so these were, these are the things that they, that they decided to do. Yes. <laughs> um, well, so again, thank you so much for, for sharing this insight. I guess, um, you know, this has been, a, a uh, trying couple of days, weeks, months for, for many Texans, um, but organizations like TCRP, y'all are doing some really great work. Do you have any sort of advice or something that you would tell someone who does feel really, really sort of bogged down at this moment? Oh, I, I would love some of that advice as, as well as someone who is very <laughs> this, this, this is also maybe for, <laughs> this is maybe for me too. I, I've definitely yeah. had a, a few nights this week where I'm just like curled up with Oreos and just did it. Yeah. 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 I mean, so I think, I think first and foremost, and, you know, I mean, I've been talking to, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of fellow comrades at other organizations who work so hard during the legislative session. I mean, the amazing organizers and advocates at Texas Freedom Network, Move Texas, um, ACLU Texas, Texas Appleseed Fair Defense Project. I mean, the list goes on and on of all the people that we worked with. And, you know, I think first and foremost, everyone needs to rest because um, we've been going hard with these with these uh, legislative sessions, you know, for over nine months now. Um, that's a long time to be in a state of constant urgency and rapid response while being met with proposed state sanctioned violence. <laughs> right. That's I mean, that is like that is mentally tolling, emotionally tolling. So I think first and foremost, I, I would just tell people to rest. I think that's that's what we can do now for for ourselves and for the movement. Um, and you know, we're in Texas. It, it we we have always known that we are in a marathon, not a sprint. It is a long fight here. Um, it is this this state government, this this state is not going to change overnight. It's going to take a long time. Um, but I do think that we have some of the best organizers in the country. And I think, you know, something else I've been thinking about a lot, particularly working at a legal advocacy organization. And as we mentioned early on with the Wendy Davis filibuster and now this, you know, this abortion law that's that's gone into effect and what we're seeing at SCOTUS around this abortion law. Um, and, you know, I 
I don't know how my lawyer colleagues are going to feel about me saying this, but like the courts are not going to save us. <laughs> they're, they're simply not. The Fifth Circuit is not a friendly court to us. SCOTUS is not a friendly court to us. It is going to take a mass multiracial movement and it is going to take uh, mass organizing with that is cross-generational, multiracial um, and, and organized um, and so, you know, at the end of the day, before the courts and before the legislature, uh, we have us, right? We have community, um, and that is that is not going away. And if anything, I think that's gotten stronger. Um, and so that's that's you know personally what gives me hope uh, when thinking about being so deflated <laughs> right now um, is that you know we we have us, and we're just going to have to keep working at it. I mean, we have made progress in, in this state in terms of organizing infrastructure. I mean, we have made massive, massive, uh, you know, um, improvements around our organizing infrastructure. And I think we just got to keep our eye on the ball there and continue to build up that infrastructure and also just continue to support each other as, as advocates. And, at the end of the, at the end of the day, I do think that we will win. But with with these courts and with this state government, it is going it is going to just take a while. So rest up, rest yeah, up. Everyone. I, I did like the advice. It's it's a marathon, not not a sprint. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, my thanks again uh, to Ali Lozano from the Texas Civil Rights Project. Thank you so much uh, for tuning into this episode of the Text Mix. We'll have some more episodes uh, down the pipeline. Uh, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. I think we're coming up to Amazon pretty soon. Uh, and be sure to check out Texas Signal and we'll keep you up to date. Thanks, guys. Thanks.